Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome today's guest on the show. It is our 400th show that we are celebrating. My guest today is Mike Howard, the chairman and CEO of Howard Midstream Energy Partners, LLC, better known as HEP. Mike, you have over 26 years of midstream experience and you co-founded what we know as HEP um, in June 2011 with eight employees. It was a small pipeline company in South Texas. You currently now have $3 billion in assets and almost 350 employees in four states and Mexico. You are also formerly the president of a midstream for one of the largest divisions of a Fortune 100 energy company. You've also held various management positions publicly trade energy companies throughout your career, and you also hold a bachelor's degree in chemical engineer from Texas A&M University in Kingsville. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you, Kim. I'm such a big fan of your show, so thank you for having me on again. Thank you for, for coming back on. You know, 400, 400 shows, and it seems like a year. Um, I'm glad that you are the guest that's that's helping us recognize this you know, huge victory for us. When we started the show, I remember we, I didn't think we'd get past, you know, a hundred shows. And it just is a testament that when you love what you do, it really reflects and it seems like it just flies by. And I think you are in the same situation with your company. You have certainly grown it from this small pipeline company to this, you know, really large, impressive kind of, I wouldn't say midstream, you're very diverse in your portfolio of an energy company, completely all the way around a, an energy company. So let me begin by, tell me a little bit about Howard Energy Partners. You have been growing, you have incurred a little bit of bumps along the way, but you are standing strong and even bigger than ever before. So I'm going to let you open up with, tell us about what you guys are working on. You have a lot of different assets and I just want to high level cover it and then we're going to drill down into them. Oh, thank you, Kim. Yesterday we celebrated uh, actually our twelfth anniversary of being in business. So congratulations, you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we're celebrating birthdays uh, this week. So uh, I'm, I'm really proud of of, of y'all being on 400 shows, especially coming from outside the industry like you have, and seeing uh, the growth of not only our company but other companies, and also the evolving of the industry. You're you're kind of front lines here, so you get to see it. Um, so you said it. Howard Energy operates in four states and Mexico. And what's unique about us being a diversified energy company is having a diverse set of cash flow streams uh, to be able to live through very difficult times like COVID or downturns in oil prices or downturns in gas prices, but being able to react quickly when we see a turn. So, you know, uh, designing a company and and from, from 2012, our core values then are same core values now uh, that, that our, every investor we've had has made money with the company. Uh, our employees, we've consistently been a top workplace in San Antonio. Every year we've been in business, we've been voted a top workplace by our employees. Um, this year, we were designated a five-star ESG-rated company, and me and you've talked about ESG in the past, and I'm able to discuss that and also hold the truth that traditional fossil fuels are important for our way of life. You know, So it, it's been a fun 12 years, and it's, it's been a fun week celebrating, actually. You know, one of my favorite stories about you was uh, a video that um, I reviewed. You were giving a, a talk to, it looked like a group of folks in Dallas somewhere, and you really talked about your transition into being your own boss and starting 
this company and how you really, you know, felt the need to step out on your strike out on your own, but more importantly, like you really needed to know what you were doing was a benefit to mankind, society. And we're going to drill down down into that in the show. But just to kind of give our listeners an understanding of how really large you are, um, you know, when I say $3 billion, that's a lot of money. Um, but I don't think we you really can understand until I say uh, something like you operate natural gas, uh, crude oil pipelines, natural gas processing plants, refined product storage terminals, deep water docks, rail facilities, fractionation facilities, hydrogen production facilities, and you own other midstream assets in Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and New Mexico. You know, this is a big job you have been working on in, in diversifying your company. And it truly shows with, with what you're doing um, and, and how you're providing not only your level of expertise of what you were doing in the previous experience you had, but also now. And then, and then on top of that, you're like one of the best places to work <laughs> on top of all of this. Um, so I, I, let's get started with some of the projects. Specifically, um, you and I really know a lot of each other from the Corpus Christi market. We're both from South Texas. Um, and I want our listeners to understand what are you work Corpus Christi, we do a lot with the Port of Corpus Christi. It's the number one energy port in the United States. And you're right up, you're right there in it too. So let's start with... Um, Tell us a little bit about what you're working on with Talus Energy. You guys struck up a partnership with them uh, in all this new stuff that's coming, this exciting stuff, carbon capture and sequestration opportunities. What's that about? That's right. So we did a partnership with the Port of Corpus Christi. They had the land. And in Texas, the surface owner owns what we call the pore space, the space b- below the surface that you're actually able to store uh, carbon in. And uh, we are the midstream experts. So we know how to do piping, processing. We know how to aggregate volumes and get them to a central location. You need a geologic partner that knows how to drill wells, especially maybe offshore even. Um, and and obviously with the, the port having onshore and offshore access, um, Talos was a natural partner of ours because they had done a large sequ- carbon sequestration deal up, up the coast near Freeport. And we know uh, that company. And, and so we put a three-way uh, partnership together um, uh, called Coastal Bend Carbon Management. And we, are, uh, we have been able to attract two Department of Energy grants uh, to be one of the first carbon sequestration sites on the Texas Gulf Coast. And why that's important is we need to, you know, obviously, if you've heard me talk before, is deliver more energy to more people around the world at a lower carbon intensity. So you have to hold both truths at the same time. Uh, And the only way we understand how to do that at this moment is to actually take the carbon from these combustion processes and collect it and put it back into the ground. And so that's that's simply what we've done. And the Port of Corpus Christi being a great partner, uh, Talos being a great partner, it was a a, a great combination of of efforts. Everybody's bringing something to the table. That's how a real partnership works. Now, Mike, you mentioned the Department of Energy, these grants. Is there a time window when you see these coming online, what you're working on, or do you are, are they going to fund them right away and then it's a process where you continue to fund? Because I've had a couple of interviews from the University of Houston and other, uh, most of them have been universities applying for uh, similar grants or grants, and it's kind of working in a process with the Department of Energy. So how is this supposed to roll out and when do we see the the progress come online, if you will? 
Yeah, so each grant is so different, you know, whether you're doing research, whether you're doing front-end engineering and designing, whether you're doing actual construction of something. So our two grants are unique in that one is going to help fund a stratigraphic test well, meaning we have to drill a test well to find out what's actually below the surface, two miles below the surface to find out what uh, is down there to see what pore space is available. And the Department of Energy is granting us a portion of our capital uh, to help us get that test well done, to do the research and development. Uh, it's pretty common when you go into a new basin to drill a core to find out what's going on uh, below the surface. It's dark down there, you know, so we try to bring the core up to the surface and analyze. And then the second DOE grant, totally different is to analyze the, the potential to be a, to build a CO2 pipeline, a carbon dioxide pipeline from the Mississippi River all the way to Corpus to create a CO2 sequestration hub along the Texas Gulf Coast. And that's a, a smaller engineering grant to do the study actually. But we feel very proud that the DOE selected us. Uh, we are obviously um, applying for those grants along some very big institutions and very big people. And they believe because of our background knowledge and track record, especially in this geography, that, that we are a company to support. Well, yeah, and it is nice to see that they're actually investing in energy companies because a lot of the the shows I've had in the past have been with universities and this is actually, you know, going and drilling into the earth and figuring out what's, what's down there. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, you also recently acquired uh, a refinery, the Javelina plant in Corpus Christi. I'm going to try to stay there first before we jump around to other areas. Sure. Um so tell us about that, because that's also very unique to what you're doing. It's it's focusing on how to uh, grapple our whole energy conversation or, or climate change conversation that we keep having. So what, is, what are you working on at that plant? Yeah, very unique facility built in the early 90s. And what it was designed to do was to take the emissions from six refineries in Corpus Christi, take the emissions that would otherwise be burned in a burner and sent into the atmosphere. The emissions would go into the atmosphere. That facility collects those emissions and then separates the individual components back into a marketable product. So for instance, hydrogen, propylene, ethylene, ethane, propane, butane, seven different components that actually have a marketability to them. So instead of burning them inefficiently in a, in a burner, to heat up an industrial process, we're collecting those emissions, bringing them value and keeping them, keep them out of the atmosphere and giving them back to the market. So that makes us like, moving upstream of carbon sequestration. It makes us the natural um, uh, aggregator of CO2 in the area too, because we're already aggregating so many other types of emissions in the area. Collecting CO2 would not be that big of a uh, jump for us to do. Well, it sounds like to me, it's a great way of recycling, which everybody seems to love that word. What a great um, word. It, it, yeah. This is a true recycling plant. We're recycling the waste the, that would go into the air instead of a solid waste. It's, you know, atmospheric waste and recycling it back into the market to be used. That's a great, that's a great analogy. Exactly. A lot of my friends will ask me, you know, like, well, how much of it do you see being like, what about flaring? And what about, and I'm like, if you just give the energy company's time. There's some of the smartest and crafty people out there. They're going to find that solution. And, and we see it rather it's flaring. They're, they have technology that can reuse it, capture it and put it back out in a recycling capacity. Same thing with your Javelina plant there in Corpus Christi. Mike, let's take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about what's happening in Corpus Christi and then we'll move on to what's happening uh, with just the energy sector and a lot of uh, changes that are occurring. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. 
Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Mike Howard, the chairman and CEO of Howard Midstream Energy Partners, LLC. Mike, we were talking about the Port of Corpus Christi and some of the expansion that you've been doing there. But we've also seen some changes as of lately, and, and I want to get into that. But first, I want to close out talking about Corpus Christi and and the work you're doing in that area, which is really important for the energy sector. You also, I, I ran into you at, you were giving a presentation at a panel for, I believe it was the Gas Summit, and it talked about Mexico, all things Mexico. You also have a diesel exporting division as well in Howard Energy that is focusing on sending supplies and resources to Mexico, our neighbors. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in, in the port there, we uh, uh, collect diesel in that area, uh, store it for the country of Mexico, and then ship it uh, by train to Mexico. We've been doing that business now going on seven years. Uh, it's, it's been a great business, one of the larger uh, diesel export facilities to Mexico. Uh, Mexico has been a longtime partner, obviously, of Howard Energies. We've been delivering natural gas to Mexico since our inception in 2011. We built a major facility into Mexico, a 200-mile pipeline that we call Nueva Eta, that connects Webb County uh, to Monterey, Mexico. And then on the on the liquid side with the Port of Corpus Christi is where we export diesel to Mexico. So we've been doing business there and a, and a longtime partner of Mexico's uh, since our company's beginning. Uh, and if I remember correctly from a previous show, you were the first pipeline ever approved to, to go from the United States into Mexico and, and, and have that yes, process. It's very, it's very unique, Kim. Uh, most pipelines stop at the border with some U.S. company that lays to the border. They do a presidential permit to lay under the border. And then usually a Mexican company will come or some international company will come to the border and then lay pipe into Mexico. We actually did a cross-border pipeline First one of its kind that got financed the way this did. We have ownership in Mexico. Our Mexican partners, Grupo Clisa, have ownership in in the U.S. So we actually crossed the border uh, with the pipeline in a in a unique geography where there's where there was no pipelines before. So the landowners we talked to, the industries we talked to, had never seen a pipeline coming through that area. So it was it was a very uh, unique uh, project. It took six years to develop from 2012 to the startup of the pipe in 2018. Uh, today, that pipeline is fully contracted, supplying energy, electricity, actually. It's, a, it's the natural gas that supplies uh, to the electric generation plants that supplies most of uh, northern Monterey, Mexico, um, uh, natural gas. So it, it, it's a pretty major facility. 
So I hear it economically beneficial to the planet. And I also see that now you are a probably a citizen or honorary citizen of Mexico. <laughs> and you're providing them really great resources that they need because they really uh, struggle in that area. Um, something that hit global media was a change in leadership at the Port of Corpus Christi. So I want to address that as well, since you have a vested interest, uh, as, and so do I, you know, our show airs out there. And, and I have a great relationship with the Port of Corpus Christi. It's an important port. It is, you know, the port for energy uh, exporting and second for uh, nat liquefied natural gas of exporting to our allies. This is a very important port and it did uh, experience some leadership change. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on um, what's going on at the port. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so proud of, of what has been accomplished at the port over the last you know, eight years under the leadership that's there. And it really starts at the board, the port commission, you know, seeing uh, the the need to hire uh, a, a, a business-minded leader and someone that comes in and really transform that port from what it was then to a multi-billion dollar operation. And as you know, I'm very passionate about, uh, you know, getting tax revenue in to help support uh, schools, especially in South Texas, where I'm from, where you're from, is continue to help education in the area, continue to help people out of poverty by providing solid jobs, providing purpose. And and I believe the port has just gone above and beyond. Uh, the port commission has done great. Leadership has done great. And now with the change in leadership, I hope that the uh, business mindset, the the pro-progress mindset continues there. I think desalination is needed in that area to continue to not only help the citizens of Nueces County uh, and San Patricio County, uh, but also continue to attract those good paying jobs uh, to the area. And of course, you have to balance the environmental uh, requirements and everything that we have to do to be in business. We don't get to do uh, what you would think when you read about fossil fuel industries or industry in general, uh, that we could just go uh, do do what we want to do because we're capitalists. Uh, we follow very strict regulations and, and controls on, on how we build and what we build. And so we will continue to work with communities uh, in that area to continue to have the vision to bring capital to the area. Um, uh, to build these new industrial processes like carbon sequestration, which actually lower the carbon intensity of the energy being provided to people. That should be something we could all get our heads around and something that we want, but it's going to take international dollars. And by having a stable port uh, with, with a forward-thinking commission that is supportive of industry uh, is what's going to attract capital to the area. And so my job uh, is to develop those projects, continue to work with the port to continue to help uh, South Texas. So for our listeners, the Port of Corpus Christi is going to be fine. And the leadership that they're going to uh, replace Sean Strawbridge, who was amazing. He brought a lot of, he brought billions into the port and really set it on its course, an energy port. So um, I say thank you to, to Sean for what he did. But now we're looking forward to some new leadership out there that hopefully has the same ideas and we'll continue to see that. You brought up desal, and I just want to click, quickly cover that too. With I understand that there was, you know, the need for the city wants to do a desal, the port wants to do a desal. I think they've come to a great arrangement somehow to where, would you not agree that like there's so much industry out there and, and that desal, they need both not one or the other. They need both. 
so interesting in Texas and really around the world, water is a very political thing, you know, like, that, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not an expert in what's going on exactly in that geography, even though my dad is the mayor of Agua Dulce, which is the furthest west town of Nueces County. He's in that water district and he's in charge of, you know, it's a volunteer position uh, for a very small community that I grew up in. Um, so, so the, the, the word on the street is more water is needed, you know, uh, the detractors would say that industry is taking that water. The other people would say is like, well, you're also putting water into the, the to the bays and estuaries to keep salinity right for shrimp and other wildlife, you know. So there's all these competing interests. Bottom line is you're in a growing population, a growing industry uh, with the same size water reservoirs that you've had for the last 50 years. I grew up uh, by, you know, my uh, grandpa was a, a, a park ranger at Lake Corpus Christi, you know, and so I grew up on that lake and then Lake Cho Canyon above that. So understanding that those lakes have not grown, water, uh, rain hasn't necessarily increased in South Texas, but population industry has. Something has to has to give. It feels like desalination is a very natural next step, but I'm, I'm, I'm not that close to it uh, beyond that I am very supportive of of doing what's right for South Texas. And it feels like the Port Commission and the city have really come together to actually get something done. So I was excited to hear recently that it seems like we're actually going to get something done in the area. Yeah, I think so. And I think that they need both, not one or the other. I think they need both. No, it needs to have both. Yeah, we we need that water uh, capacity. Uh, Let's take a quick break. You're listening to a Noel Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today, Mike Howard, Chairman and CEO of Howard Midstream Energy Partners, LLC. Mike, before the break, we talked a lot about Corpus Christi and you have a lot of assets there, but you have assets in a lot of different shell plays, a lot of different areas, pipelines. But I want to switch gears for a little bit and talk a little bit beyond uh, South Texas and talk about energy companies, what they're facing You've had a lot of experience in your past. You, you you wield a lot of experience now. But oil and natural gas companies are experiencing a really rough time in the first half of 2023 uh, with inflation, supply chain issues, and attacks somewhat by politicians in the U.S. and Europe. It has resulted in a decline of investment capital for, from financial institutions and outside investors. Eight of the top uh, oil and gas producing companies Six of them have had their stocks declined since January. Chevron declined 12%. Conoco and EOG down were down 11%. Pioneer Natural Resources was down 9%. Exxon, Exxon was down 5%. And Oxy was down 3%. All of these companies headquartered in the United States. Um, there was also two that had an increase, which was Shell was up 9%. BP was up 3 Their headquarters are located in Europe. Crude prices were off 30%. Natural gas was down 40% than a year ago. The drilling rig count is down from 11% to 695, and that's a result of declining rigs. And the Wall Street Journal reported shares for the four largest onshore drilling companies have plunged to 33% on the average this year, while S&P 500 energy index is down 8%, and the broader S&P 500 is up 15%. Whew, that was a lot. There's a lot of changes. So my question is, what is the future, in your opinion, of all the, you know, what's happening to the energy sector, especially in the upstream part? Yeah, the number one most popular political uh, agenda on the planet right now is the rapid elimination of fossil fuels. Yeah. And, but how do we do that and live? And, and <laughs> it's it, not possible. It, so when you're in the fossil fuel industry, uh, like we are, 
you know, that that is a big mountain to, to, to overcome. So we, we work on is, is education, of course, and and to work on uh, educating people on the benefits of what we do that are our modern life, the four pillars of, of modern life, you know, uh, uh, that, that basically is concrete, steel, uh, plastics, uh, fertilizer are all derived from 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 fossil fuels, not including uh, the the liquid transportation fuels. So when I when I think about your question of what is the future, I think of the macro. There are short term things going on right now that you mentioned. Last year, energy stocks outperformed every index. This year, they're down a little bit, but you've also had a seventy five percent reduction in natural gas price this year. You know, and that natural gas price reduction, the economic benefit of that, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, that's providing uh, industry because most energy being used is by industry to make the four pillars of our modern economy is it's helping everybody else. It's keeping inflation lower than it could be uh, worldwide. If prices were still elevated, inflation follows energy prices. And so, you know, um, with, with oil where it continues to be, uh, you know, you still have inflation, but jobs are at, its, uh, at a record low right now. And so, you know, we need the energy industry. We need a healthy ener- energy industry. But financing has gotten expensive because inflation is high. And like you said, the lack of investors. We've had a lot of people leave our industry. There's these ESG mandates where people are weaponizing ESG and lumping companies like ours into alcohol, tobacco, firearms, um, pornography. They're not going to invest in these terrible industries and throw fossil fuels in there now as well. And that lack of investment uh, is just really a lack of understanding of how our world works and where we get our modern ways of life, not including, you know, India, uh, where Prime Minister Modi was up in in D.C. uh, this week, you know, understanding that India has some of the most rapid elimination of poverty going on on the planet. And why are they and how are they doing that? They're rurally electrifying uh, uh, their their uh, their countryside. They're distributing propane. Uh, they're they're importing Russian oil. Uh, they, they are doing things to get their citizens energy to continue to raise them out of poverty. And they're doing an unbelievable job. It's not particularly popular to talk about though because of their human rights issues and other things. But but most of the planet does not live in the Western world. Most of the planet lives somewhere else, and they they want energy. And so I look at the macro, these LNG facilities coming online uh, in 25, 2026, 2027, that will increase the demand uh, uh, for for U.S. energy. Uh, So right now, stocks are down a little bit of price problem right now. But the macro is the world used more fossil fuels in 2022 than ever in human history. We use more coal than ever in human history. We use more oil. We The U.S. broke liquid transportation volumes last year, meaning we used more jet fuel and uh, diesel and gasoline last year than ever before. Uh, so it's going to be a while uh, before we see what you would hear as a transition. I call it an energy mix evolution. We're going to continue to need more energy, and we have to get it from the sources that we've gotten it from and new sources that we don't even understand yet. I couldn't agree with you more. And even even President Biden in his State of the Union said it. We are not, oil and gas isn't going anywhere anytime soon. But Let's he put 10 a, years on it. He did say 10 years. He said, <laughs> or at least I think a, a little more. <laughs> <laughs> I think a little more. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Mike Howard, CEO and president of Howard Energy Partners. Mike, before the break, I I wrote off some numbers of how really difficult it is in this climate 
for operators, even some of the largest, to really continue to do what they're doing. Their numbers have been down. And you said there's certain reasons for it. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about um, maybe the reason why is all of this anti-oil and gas sentiment that's going on globally. We see that our uh, friends, allies in in Europe have doubled down on solar wind and they're kind of walking that back anti against any kind of product that produces energy because, you know, I know the world needs it globally. And so we have to continue to produce. But seeing how the upstream part of energy is really struggling to find financing from financiers and outside investors, uh, tell me a little bit about the infrastructure because that's what you focus on as well in the midstream part of it. How difficult is it for infrastructure to be developed? And did, uh, did it make any kind of a change or mark with the Debt Reduction Act that they did, the Ceiling Debt Reduction Act? Is that going to make a difference? Because there was some energy reform in there. Yeah. So uh, right now, um, what we've seen is a resistance to infrastructure being built. Um, there's not only in the judicial system, when you have, when you go for permits, you have many activist groups that go against you. Um, and then you also have landowners, uh, that, that may not want infrastructure in their backyard. And I'm not just talking pipeline infrastructure. It could be windmills, solar panels, uh, high voltage, uh, power lines. And, you know, the, the, um, the misconception is that we can transition off of our current energy sources. And we actually can't and continue our quality of life. We need more infrastructure. We need more pipelines, uh, more wind, more solar, more nuclear, uh, and more natural gas, more more coal. Uh, we need it all because we're going to need 50% more energy on the planet between now and 2050 in the next 30 years, if you believe what the UN says about population and GDP growth. Um, so, you know, that requires building that requires industrial progress and the uh the administration uh through the to the, the the last act that you just mentioned uh was able to get the mountain valley pipeline uh completed uh that pipeline is obviously in west virginia and crosses the appalachian trail and there's that's a lot there's a lot of uh, judicial resistance against that a lot of activists uh in the in the courts trying to stop that pipeline. And what's fascinating about that is it's pipelines like that that actually lower the CO2 intensity of the of uh, of the energy that it's that it that, that we're that we're trying to uh, produce. Uh, it replaces coal. It replaces fuel oil. It actually has cleaner burning natural gas. And so uh, the anti-infrastructure movement that's going on it's it's continuing hard for us to our timelines and expense to lay pipelines. Even in Texas, have have moved out. Um, uh, meaning it's, it's more expensive and harder to do. So, uh, our permits, uh, we have to be more thoughtful about it. Our, uh, lobbying efforts in Austin and in Washington, uh, we have to sit in front of people to let them know where they get their energy from and why these projects are needed. You can't just look at the, at, at climate impact. You have to look at economic impact. You have to look at what the cost of energy is and how that impacts inflation and how that impacts everybody. Uh, so infrastructure is going to continue to be needed um, and and we need less regulation to help get us there. As you said, anytime you demonize one form of energy, it's hurting something else. So if you're anti-wind or anti-fossil fuels or anti-nuclear, you're ha- you're going to get the energy from somewhere. You'd like the free market to figure that out, but right now there's some there's some economic advantage given to lesser 
uh, denser forms of energy that actually hurt uh, people by raising energy prices. So we, we, we need to continue to look for ways to work with the government to, to knock down barriers uh, to, to, in, to infrastructure building. Well, you know, and it comes to mind that what comes to my mind is that when we do elect our elected officials, you know, we do it with a good spirit and believe that they really do get to work. They have great staff and they and they learn all these things before they implement bills, because these bills do have unintended consequences that bad things can happen. And I think we're well on that path that we need to kind of walk back some of this maybe regulation that makes it harder. Look at some other countries that have tried to push forward uh, in the renewable sector too quickly and they're walking that back and 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 just pay attention to when we're asked to be con, you know to conserve uh, or turn down our thermostats turn them up to conserve energy because of just our utilities all of these things matter energy matters to us and and even the elected officials um, don't have all the answers so it's good to see that the energy companies um, are stepping up to the plate with their great associations, lobbying groups to help explain this because it is complicated. This is why I've been on this show, been on this radio for for uh, 400 shows eight years later, and and we're just barely, you know, getting to the tipping point where people are now writing in or emailing me and saying, you know, I can't believe, you know, uh, that was a great show you did. You really helped me to understand what was going on, and I'm like, well, you know, uh, just quickly, humble beginnings. I was a mom trying to figure out what to do. And I had a job before in the nonprofit sector and it was helping people with mental illness. And I learned very quickly that um, it affects us here in Texas because we had a deficit from our comptroller and we had to um, cut all benefit services. I saw all these mentally ill end up in our uh, ERs and not getting access to treatment. And within a couple of years, because of Eagle Ford, it put billions into the coffers and we were able to rehire uh, law enforcement, teachers, as well as restore services to the indigent population that's out there. So it matters to us all that our elected officials know what they're doing, but it also matters that we try to tell and inform people really the importance of energy. And, And it could be to your daily lives how beneficial it is, but it also is gonna affect potentially the roads you drive on, the teachers, you know, that teach your children, uh, law enforcement that keep us safe. With that, I'm going to bring it back to, this is just a show uh, on energy and not a show about Kim. Anyway, I was just kidding. But Mike, let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about positive energy because on your website, you talk about it. You go around uh, to really large organizations, chambers, anyone who wants to hear about energy and increase their energy knowledge. And it's important that we understand a little bit more. So let's take a quick break. You listen to an oil patch radio show. We'll be right back. In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. 
Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to texasmutual.com slash T-X-O-G-A. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to an old Pet Radio show. My guest today is Mike Howard, the president and CEO of Howard Energy Partners. Mike, I, I went on a little rambling spree, but this show matters to me because it really does help people understand, like me, that is not in the oil and gas industry, what it's really about. Um, and also, um, you know, I just wanted to close that down that, you know, I wanted to teach, I wanted to learn and I wanted to teach others. And this is how the show began. That being said, you on your website, when I was doing research for your show, um, you actually have on your website something that was very impressive to me. You were talking about positive energy. And this is one of the things that I enjoy the most about you and, and you being an advisor to me personally, and I thank you for that, is you really break things down, energy, the topic, in a way that most of us can understand. But this, this is a very complicated topic when we talk about global energy, when we talk about poverty. And I want to get into that. So I'm going to let you roll with... Tell me what positive energy means to you. Why is it important to be on your website? What does it mean to you? Yeah, the, it really started back, you know, our company starts in 2011, but really about 2013 and 14, we're starting to feel some of that anti-energy uh, 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 conversation going on, even in Texas. And then in 2015, there was a big market downturn in natural gas, and it really hurt stock prices. It hurt our ability to raise capital. This was all the way back in 2015, and I really started believing Maybe we should do something else. Maybe we should get into wind development. Maybe we should get into things that were that were labeled as green back then. Uh, ESG was not a thing in the U.S. It was in in, in uh, Europe, but not in the U.S. yet. But we were already feeling the pressure of it. And I tell you, when you're the CEO of a of a of a company labeled like that, and your name is on the door, uh, and I did not come from the energy industry. You know, my dad was a school teacher uh, in South Texas, and I, I came in that, uh, up in that kind of environment. Uh, I got into energy because it was the highest paying job uh, at the time. And we went on a uh, education uh, uh, endeavor to learn as much as we could about our industry. And believe it or not, just because you're in the industry, doesn't you don't necessarily know globally what's going on. And it really opened my eyes. And, and by, by our 10 year anniversary, two years ago, our employees got together not only to memorialize the values they've experienced the last 10 years, but to memorialize our values and our purpose for the next 10 years, if not longer. Uh, we, we are a perpetual company. We want to be around a long time. We are not for sale. We don't want to be for sale. And, and the, the thing that the employees came up with, and me included, is a set of five values, but also our purpose. And our purpose is to deliver positive energy. We understand that in order to live the lives that we live, 
and the flourishing that we have in the U.S. and the Western world is because we have high access to energy. There's no such thing as a uh, low, low energy, high income country or a low energy, high income life. If you are doing well in life, because you use a lot of energy. Yeah. And we also then understand that it has to be lower carbon intensive uh, to lower the impact to our surroundings. Uh, not only the atmosphere, but our water streams and everything else. The U.S. enjoys the cleanest air and cleanest water because we hold both truths. We understand this. Um, but the other um, seven and a half billion people on the planet uh, may not have those opportunities. And so we understand that if we can get them more energy, uh, it can do nothing but positive, uh, have positive impacts to them. So we believe that our pipes, our terminaling uh, facilities, our train facilities, our ship facilities, um, deliver that positive energy, not only to the U.S., but to the world. The second meaning of that, in, in more closely to home, is every community we're in, including San Antonio, we are a good corporate citizen. We believe in doing the next right thing uh, for the people around us. You do not attract the top employees that we have and retain the top employees without being a great community partner. Every community we operate in, from Pennsylvania to New Mexico uh, to South Texas, is we get involved in the community in a positive way because we live in those communities. We're environmentalists, we're landowners, we're conservationists. You know, we, we live in the communities we work in. So, so when you interact with our company, it's gonna be a positive experience. So that positive energy could be taken not only physically, uh, but also uh, from, from our employees and the daily interactions that we have with our customers, with our uh, shareholders, uh, and with the communities that we live in. Well, let's, let's take one part of what it says on your website. It says 2.5 billion number of people living in energy poverty. That's right. Give a visual to the listeners of what that looks like if they don't quite understand. You know, you said no country that is doing well, which is us here in the United States. You know, we have, you go to your, you know, your wall and you flip on a light switch and your light comes on and you have access to hot water to take a shower. You know, you have food in the refrigerator, your refrigerator works, you have gas in your car, whether you drive a Tesla or not. Uh, but what is 2.5 billion number of people living in poverty, Mike? What does that look like? That's right, energy poverty. So they use less electricity daily than what your refrigerator uses in your home. I mean, annually. So your refrigerator in your house uses more electricity than 2.5 billion people have even have access to. Yeah. And so, and those would be these poor people. Um, and yet we're sitting here talking about we need to, we need to get off the grid. Keep going. What does that look like? <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, and so we we love giving statistics a, a, around that sort of thing about people that live we and in dollars per day, you know, is that people living in poverty uh, uh, in, in abject poverty live on a dollar ninety a day. And that's like what Haiti or Sudan, really poor uh, uh, places live at a dollar ninety a day. If you're poor in the U.S., uh, according to the IRS, you live at thirty five dollars a day. And so the the, the two and a half billion that live at that dollar ninety. 46% of the planet lives at 550, you know, so yeah, the, the most of the planet doesn't understand what our conversations are when it comes to uh, climate change or that sort of thing. When the UN does their impacts of, of what people are worried about around the world, uh, climate for most of the world is way down at the bottom 20. Uh, the top 20 is where their food's coming from, uh, what jobs they're going to have, how they can educate their children, clean water sanitation, you know, th those are the things that most people worry about. We get to live in a very privileged world and we're going to lower our carbon intensity uh, as well. We're also going to try to give energy to the people to get them up to where uh, they can maybe live more modern lives. Me oh. Mexico is a great example, by the way. You just go to Mexico, 130 million people in Mexico uh, would love to have more energy. 
Yeah, that's why I was complimenting you. It was like you're doing a great thing for these citizens because they do live uh, a very modest life. Uh, and it is, and a lot of them live in poverty. And I, I see that being Hispanic um, and, you know, looking around and seeing we need to help people understand uh, a little bit more about energy. I did promise to close on a good note. So on your website, it says the U.S. leads the world in greenhouse gas uh, admission reduction. I'll leave you with that. What what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, so by switching from coal, which is a, 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 a dirtier form of energy, that, in other words, it has more emissions per ton than natural gas. We simply converted, because of the shale revolution, and you've talked about that a lot on your show, because of the shale revolution and finding vast reserves of natural gas, we were able to get off of coal, convert to natural gas. And that one move uh, since 2000 and really, you know, five, six, uh, has lowered our emissions back to 1990 levels. So we've increased the population of the U.S., we've increased industry, we've increased GDP, we've increased wealth, and we've actually lowered emissions back to 1990 levels. And, and natural gas is the primary reason for doing that. Uh, another reason is we've outsourced a lot of our manufacturing. We've shipped our emissions to China, Vietnam, and other places so they can use coal energy to ship us products back. You know, So it hasn't all been great. Uh, but the U.S. is leading the world in, in emissions reductions right now, mostly because of natural gas. Yeah. And, and and that you brought up sounds like another show about how we're shipping off manufacturing when we live on one planet. But that's another show. Mike, thank you for, for joining me again and, and helping us celebrate our 400 show. Appreciate friendship. <laughs> thank you. And uh, thank you for being a guest on today's show. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.